0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Oak Breast, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. Open your Bibles to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. So this past week, I on Tuesday, I met with a guy by the name of Dan. And we were talking about prison ministry and about a ministry that he works for, works with, called Beyond the Walls. And basically what they do is they go to prisons and they... they have an event in the yard of the prison and they invite the prisoners to come to the yard and hear the the people uh, either speak or tell jokes. It, it's usually some a celebrity like the 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 guy who walked across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. he works with the ministry, people who do motorcycle flips and stuff. Um, and so people will come to the yard and then, uh, we are also there, and we will filter out amongst the prisoners. And the, the the people on stage will say, "Hey, go talk to these guys who've come to share with you." And the prisoners come, and they find us, and we share the gospel with them. That's essentially what it is. Super cool, right? So as Dan and I were talking, though, he's a new friend. I didn't know anything about him, and so I asked him his story. And I said, "Man, just tell me about your story. What's your what's your background? You know, how did you wind up where you are?" And he began to tell me that he worked for a large insurance company, making lots and lots of money, six figures plus. And his his thing, his, his weekends, all weekend were consumed with being on the boat. He loved the water and he had jet skis and he had cruisers and he had yachts and all these things. And so he was living that kind of life down in the central Florida area. And he said for eight or ten years, every weekend, you're going to find me on the boat, enjoying myself. And One day he looked around and he said, is this all there is? And it was God chipping away at what he thought was so important. And it was God shifting his focus into what he's doing now. And it turns out that all of his wealth and all of his position and all of his weekends were not giving him the fulfillment that he wanted and desired. So what God did was give him a job of a quarter of the pay. And he's now living out of a motorhome, home, traveling around the southeast. But every weekend, instead of being on a boat, he sold most all of his boats. He now is in prison most every single weekend. And he is absolutely loving life. God shifted his priorities. And as I was listening to his story, that question, is this all there is? just echoed in my heart and in my mind. Because I know that's the question that you and I ask, or at least have asked, or will ask at some point. Because all of our life has got to have meaning. We've got to have purpose. We've got to do something that really matters. And if you haven't discovered it yet, what you have doesn't give you purpose and meaning that is truly satisfying. So in Luke chapter 12. Jesus deals with this very issue. In Luke chapter 12. Beginning in verse 13. The Bible says. Someone from the crowd said to Jesus. Teacher. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now that wouldn't seem so strange. Unless we look at the context. In which it was being said. In chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible tells us that a great crowd had come around Jesus, and this great crowd was listening as he spoke about eternal things. And so Jesus is speaking about the need to fear God and, and the need to um, acknowledge Jesus as the Lord. And he's speaking about kingdom things. And out of nowhere, this dude pops up his hand and goes, Hey, uh, teacher. Tell my brother to split, my inher- or split the inheritance with me. It's the kind of thing where you can be in one situation, one setting that's, that's, um, that's very serious and very solemn. And somebody over here starts laughing, right? I mean, it's just totally out of character. But what it actually did was reveal where this guy's heart really was. And I want to ask you. Are you here today in a very uh, kingdom-minded, Christ-centered moment? And it, but if, is your heart thinking about being on the boat? Or is your heart thinking about being somewhere else? That, that's what was going on with this guy. And, I, and I'm not saying that as an accusation. I'm saying that's the nature or the tendency of a human. It's to always be thinking about something else and not be in the moment. And what Jesus had to do was address the heart issue of this man through the circumstance by which he was finding himself living in he was fine he found himself this man was found himself no doubt concerned about whether or not the inheritance would be split evenly or properly with his brother now we don't know if he was the older brother. We don't know if he was the younger brother. We don't know any of those things. Most likely he was not the older brother. And so he wanted a little bit more. And if you go to inheritance rules that you'd understand all that. But Jesus addressed this man by saying this statement in verse 14, friend, who appointed me judge or arbitrator over you? In other words, why are you asking me this? Do you think that I have some authority? Do you think that I might have an answer that is worth listening to? And that was probably more, um, uh, uh, oh, what's that word? Hy- not hypothetical, it was, uh, rhetorical. yes, rhetorical, thank you. My little th- thesaurus right here on the front. That was more probably more rhetorical and proving and making the point, hey, listen, I do have authority in this matter. And then he says this in verse 15, watch out, be on guard. And by the way, he told them. So he was answering this man in the crowd by addressing the entire crowd. He said, watch out, be on your guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. That phrase is super, super important. Life is not in the abundance of a man's possessions. Here's the cool thing. The word life there, the Greek word is zoe, not bio. Zoe means meaningful, fulfilling purposeful life. So what Jesus was saying was you will find meaning and purpose and satisfaction in life not through the abundance of your possessions but through something else. And the truth is many of us are wrestling with the abundance of our possessions and how we can have those things fulfill the meaning and the need that we have for meaning in our life. And Jesus then tells a story. By the way, if we if we look at that verse, it says, be on your guard. So he's saying to the people listening, be careful because this is always creeping in. Be cautious because it's never a done deal. There's always the tendency for us to look at our stuff, to look at the things we do, the things we have, and creep towards those things fulfilling our deepest needs, which they never can. And so... Jesus then tells this parable. He said, a rich man had land that was very productive. Verse 16 and 17. He thought to himself, what should I do? Since I don't have anywhere to store my crops, I know I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and I will store all my grain and all my goods in there. And then I will say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. So Jesus tells this parable. Parable is simply a a story to illustrate a spiritual point. So there's not an actual person he's talking about. But he's saying, here's a story to illustrate the point. There was once a man. Who had land that was extremely productive. And he said to himself, where will I store all of this? I don't have a place to store it. Now, here's the thing we need to remember. He did have a place to store the pro, or the, the uh, success of his land. They were just full. He had barns because he had to tear them down, right? He had silos because he had to tear them down. And so... His his concern was, I have so much and I've been so blessed. I need to figure out how I can store this so that the rest of my life, all I have to do is sit on the golf course, fish out of my boat, enjoy life, eat, drink, take it easy. He wanted a life that was full of pleasure and just eat and just just existing off of the blessings of the day. Now, question. Why was his land so productive? There's no doubt in my mind that his land was so productive partly because he was a hard worker. How do I know that? Because land just doesn't become productive out of nothing. You've got to tend the soil, you've got to mend the soil, you've got to plow it up, you've got to know about the pH and all that kind of stuff. This man was not a lazy man. This man was a man that obviously was working hard. And he had worked so hard that he created a situation where he was abundantly blessed. That means he would have had workers he had to deal with. He would have had stewardship issues and managerial issues that he had to deal with. And he did a really good job at it. There's nothing sinful about being successful in what you're doing. There's no condemnation that his land was productive. None whatsoever whatsoever. In fact, I think we could look at the Proverbs and see that a sluggard is hungry. But a diligent man or a diligent woman, they will find a productive field. They will find a, a, a success in what they do. That, that's biblical, right? But see, here's the thing. It wasn't all him. It was him doing the part that he had to do. And it was God who was sending the rain. And it was God who was germinating the seed. And it was God who was growing that seed into a plant, producing fruit. And it was God who was giving the right amount of rain and the right amount of sun. And it was God who was keeping the pestilence, the the diseases and the bugs away from it. So even though the man had a huge part in the productive fields that he had, ultimately, God was the one who made it grow. See, what he thought, Was that he was the reason for his success. And because he thought he was the reason for his success. He thought that everything in his field was his. And he also said you know what. I've got so much. I don't have to do anything anymore. But play golf. Or sit on my porch and eat a giant bowl of ice cream. With a huge spoon. And just watch the sun come up. Because you can eat ice cream in the mornings when you're rich. And you could just do whatever you wanted to do. And he thought that his life was set. He had no worries. He had no problems. It was truly a Hakuna Matata moment. Gotta dig deep on that one. It's your problem free. Remember? Philosophy. Okay, y'all do remember that, right? All right, you're not, you're not singing, and I didn't need to see anybody. Okay. So it was truly this moment where he thought the rest of his life he was set. Here's what I noticed, though, reading this verse 17. He thought to himself. What should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all of my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, self, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Do you see the problem there? He was the center of his universe. All of his life. All of the meaning and purpose in his life. Was centered around. He himself. And nobody else. I'm not saying that he wasn't kind to other people. There's no indication if he was or wasn't. There, there, there's no indication if he fed the poor or the home. None of that. But the problem was a heart issue. The problem was that he Thought that he was the center of his world and that everything he had was for him. In other words, he was building his own kingdom, just not the right kingdom. The next verse tells us, verse 20, but God said to him, Listen to what God says, you fool. Those would be awful words, wouldn't they? To hear God look at you and say to you, You fool. You fool. He said, this very night, tonight, you're going to close your eyes and you will never open them again. You are going to die tonight. And all of these new barns and all of this new grain and all of this new house and all of these toys and all of this stuff that you've bought is going to go to somebody else. That is how, verse 21, it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So, what I want you to see this morning is this there's nothing wrong with prosperity. There's nothing wrong with stuff. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life. There's nothing wrong with having a a successful business or a successful field or a successful practice or whatever. There's nothing inherently wrong with that until it becomes the end uh, in of itself as opposed to a means to an end. You say, well, what's the means to an end? What is the end if it's not the stuff? Well, Jesus said that a oh, man's life is not in the abundance of his possessions, but it's in what he does with the kingdom. So, what Jesus is saying to you and to me through this passage is this You will not find meaning in your stuff. Or you won't find meaning in your leisure and you won't find purpose in your pleasure. You will only find it when you are searching for the kingdom of God and doing kingdom things with the abundance of your possessions. See, what's really cool about this is that God knows how we're wired. He knows what we love and don't love. He knows what we're skilled at. and He knows what we struggle with. He knows all there is to know about us. And God has purposely wired us for this reason. So that we could declare the praises of our God through how he has wired us. Somebody with a, a business uh, uh, mind is able to declare the kingdom of God through that business mind. Think of how ridiculous it is that Joshua gets to travel the country on somebody else's dime and get paid to go hunt. That is not so that he can just enjoy life. That's because God has a purpose and a plan for him for the kingdom of God. One of the coolest um, things about, about understanding this principle of the kingdom is understanding that when we truly do have the kingdom in mind, when we truly are thinking beyond ourselves and looking at okay, what does God want out of this? We realize that it pleases God to make the kingdom of God fulfilled in and through our life. If you don't believe me, look at chapter the very next part of this um, chapter 20, uh, chapter twelve verse twenty two. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, "Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear." For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Jesus begins to teach his disciple this kingdom principle. He said, look, don't worry about all of the details of life. And he he mentions the basics, right? What will you eat? What will you wear? You know, the the things that are really important to life. He said, don't worry about those. Don't be anxious about those. Why not be anxious? Well, because God is going to supply those. If you are focused on the needs of life, you are going to forget the thing that brings meaning to life. Now, I'm not saying that you ignore those things, but that's not your focus. And it's certainly not something that you worry about and fret over. You know, somebody, uh, uh, if you listen to talk shows and, uh, you know, the doomsdayers and all, the whole world is going to get to a famine and everything. And I don't know, maybe it is. But I was thinking as I was listening to this going, you know what? I'm still not going to worry. Here's why. Because God has made a promise to his people that he will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And God has promised that he'll never leave us or forsake us. And God has promised that we have a father who knows us even better than we know ourselves. So no matter what situation happens in the world, I, as a follower of Jesus, am going to be okay. Because God has promised that he will never leave us begging Bread. Now, is that to say that we'll never experience hunger? No, sometimes we will. But in the long run, in the ultimate scheme of things, God always provides for his children. Does that make sense to you? But what we have to do is trust that God will do what he says he will do. So no matter what happens with the economy, no matter what happens with anything... Our hope and our trust is in someone bigger than a government or a nation or a world. Our hope is in the founder and creator and the sustainer of the entire universe. We have nothing, truly nothing to fear. We ought to be vigilant. We ought to be wise and all those things we have to manage and steward. But at the end of the day, our God is God. And so... He says to his disciples, don't worry about all these things. Everybody's worried about these things, but you don't worry about those things. Instead, set your mind on the eternal. Ask yourself, what is it that God wants in me and through me? What does he want me to do? How does he want me to live? It's truly living with with palms up, having having an open hand towards all the blessings of God. No matter if it's suffering, no matter if it's hunger, no matter if it's nice clothes or no matter if it's Kmart clothes. Don't mean to offend you. I wore Kmart clothes a lot of my life. OK, I mean, you remember the white stripes on the Velcro shoes? Yeah, that was me. Rip. So, you know, no matter what's going on, I go, Lord, I don't own any of this. It belongs to you. But here's in the goodness of God what he does. He says, you know, you lo- you enjoy those things. You find Earthly satisfaction in those things, I want to use those things to accomplish kingdom purposes. What is it that you find satisfaction in life doing? But at the end of the day, it's satisfying, but it's not like ultimately satisfying, right? The way that you find ultimate satisfaction is using those things for God's kingdom. Let me give an example. My wife likes to shop. She can shop, and she shops every single day. If you know her, you know that she is a shopaholic. Now, a lot of men are like, man, I can't get my wife to stop buying stuff, right? And look, sometimes women are like, I can't get my husband to stop buying stuff. So it it goes both ways. But I love the fact that she shops, and here's why. Her mission is to find stuff she can buy So that she can store it until there's a need for somebody who needs what she buys. So, we have rooms in our house that are full of things that we will never ever use and we never intended to use. We don't need 180 pairs of boys' 4T underwear, but we have them. I'm not joking. We don't need 40 tubes of toothpaste. But we have them. We don't need girls shoes and we don't need towels and we don't need little uh, beanie weenies. What are they called? Uh, baby dolls. Uh, but, but, but she buys them. And she puts them in the room. And then as there's a need, she goes, I happen to have that. She goes into her own Walmart in the back of the house and she pulls the things and she gives them away. Now, I say that just because it's it's easy to say because I'm living it. I know many of you are doing that, too. But foster families get the benefit of her shopping. Um, Some of you get the benefit of her shopping. She helps teachers and gives things to them. Uh, She's just doing all of these things. But here's the reason I'm telling you this. Because shopping to her is a means to an end to do God's work. So she finds pleasure not in the shopping, but pleasure in the giving. But the giving can't happen without the shopping. Oh, and I should mention that most of the things she buys, she pays like a penny a piece for them. No joke. She's, on, she's always like, you always know when she finds a good deal because it's, it's, it's this evil, wicked witch laugh. <laughs> it's like this cackling, right? I can hear it all through the house. She's so excited because she found a deal. And she'll say, Jeff, we've got to go to the Dollar General. Why are we going to the Dollar General? Because they just mark stuff down. We go; They can see her coming. They're like, over there. I mean, it's, it's the coolest thing to watch. Here's the thing. For her, it's shopping. For me, it's hunting and fishing and outdoor stuff. That's, that's a passion of mine that God has used for the kingdom of God. I don't have to... I don't have to give that up, but I'm willing to. I'm willing to say, Lord, if you don't ever want me to get on a boat again, I'll never go. If you don't ever want me to shoot a deer, I'll never go. If you don't ever want me to climb a mountain, I'll never go. But see, it's those internal passions that God has ignited, but instead of doing them for me, God says, why don't I do in you and through you, through those things, something that is eternal? Here's the question What is your passion? That God has placed in you. And so the funny thing is we're like, oh, God just wants me to suffer. God just wants me to be miserable. i got to give all of that up. You know what? In my own life, I had to give it up to realize that I didn't love it. And then he gave it back and he shifted the focus of it. It became no longer the end, but it became a means to an end. I have a friend of mine who is brilliant with money. He loves money, 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 but not because he's greedy. He likes to invest and make money so that he can give money. And it's the most amazing thing. He can turn $100 into $1,000 like that. If you talk with him, all he wants to talk about is money. But he's not greedy and he's not selfish. He's one of the most generous people I've ever met because you can't give what you don't have. Come on. Y'all listen here. So his passion, his skill is turned into kingdom things. I want to just give you a couple of warnings. Number one, don't use the kingdom as an excuse to do something. God sees through that, right? And don't lie to yourself. Oh, this is for the kingdom. No, it's not. Come on. If it's for you, just be honest, it's for you. But if your heart can truly be to the place where whatever it is you do, however it is you you, 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 you enjoy life, if you can do that With the mindset of. I am a follower of Jesus first. I am about God's kingdom first. God use this and bless this. Or take it away. Don't matter to me. But help me to fully be about the kingdom. And God will do that in your life. It could be that you're a teacher. You love to teach. It could be that you're a physician. You love to to help people find wholeness and healing. It could be that you're a, a manager of a store. Anything falls under the. Heading or category of this is about the kingdom. But there are three things that we say to God when we're talking about kingdom living. Number one, we say, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do as long as it doesn't mess with my comfort. As long as it's safe and as long as it doesn't really cost me anything. Now, think about that. Girlfriend, I will marry you as long as you let me do whatever I want to do. You don't require me to come home at any certain time. And you let me to spend whatever amount of money I want to spend. As long as we have that agreement, we can get married. How's that going to go? Probably not well. Why? Because when you give yourself to Christ... You give all of you, your heart, your passions, your, your, your possessions, everything. And you say, Lord, I surrender all. I've always thought it was funny. We I surrender some. I surrender a little bit. Some to Jesus. No. Give it all. Give it all. And God says, now that I have all, I want to turn those things into a kingdom venture for you. Oh, and by the way, when that happens in your life, you find meaning, and you find satisfaction, and you find true enjoyment out of life, because you're naturally in your element, but you're doing it for a higher purpose and a higher cause. If you, if you if you want some extra reading, read Ecclesiastes chapter five. It's this whole wrestling with, "I've got all that I need." And yet I want more because the heart is focused on self. But then uh, Solomon says, look, it's not wrong to have it. Enjoy it. God's given it to you. But recognize the place that it should have in your life. It's got to be a means to an end, not the end of itself. So I say to you this. Have you given God conditions? Lord, I will do what you want me to do as long as it's not uncomfortable. You're not ever going to do what God wants you to do then. God doesn't operate in the comfortable. God operates in the uncomfortable. There's so many reasons for that. But number one, a lot of what God is using you for is in uncomfortable places. As we hike through these mountains in India, there's no comfort involved. There's none. You might as well leave comfort the the moment you get on the airplane in Pensacola. You got a twenty-eight-hour journey just to get to the next part of the journey, which is a couple-hour journey, so that you can acclimate. Then you can go on an eight-hour car ride, all of us in one little car like this, going like this, about to die. And then you have to wait a whole day because you got a hike, but you have to acclimate. There's no comfort at all. There's you don't go to a restaurant and order a steak and baked potato. You eat you eat snacks like at a Circle K. At, I mean, you're talking about. Discomfort, But guess what? We get to tell somebody about Jesus who has never heard the name Jesus. Why would we want comfort when we could have that? The friends who were in this video, they came back and they said, one of the guys said, what is this Jesus you're talking about? Never even heard the name. Didn't even know it was a person. Didn't know if it was a place or a thing. And to be able to declare God's glory to a people that's never heard is the most incredible gift anyone could ever receive from God. Oh, that God would use us to do that. Does that not excite you? Does that make you not say, Who am I, God, that you would use this mouth and this arm and this set of legs Comfort? I don't need comfort. Why would I want comfort when I get to do that? What about safety? We want safety? Why do we want safety? Listen, the most dangerous place in the world is being outside of the will of God. You are only you are only imagining safety if you're somewhere outside of where God wants you to be. You are safer in a war zone in the Ukraine if you're in the will of God than you are in Gulf Breeze on the bike path walking your dog. Far more safe. Why? Because when you're in the will of God, there's nothing that will happen that God doesn't have complete authority and control over in it. You say, well, what if, what if it causes you to die? In the words of Jim Elliot, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I will gladly give it if it means I get to gain what I cannot lose, as opposed to trying to hold on to something I never can keep. And what about cost? It costs money. It costs time. Listen, I could go on and tell you all the things that I want to do those first two weeks of October. But nothing compares. Nothing compares to what I get to do. So I want to invite you to a life of purpose and meaning. I want to invite you to a life of surrender. I want to invite you. Oh, by the way, let me, let me, let me, give, me give you the best verse out of this whole passage Verse 31, seek his kingdom. This is Jesus speaking. Seek his kingdom, and these things, these earthly things, will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father, listen, your father delights to give you the kingdom. I saw that for the first time this week. The father, I don't know how, I missed it. The father delights. He gets pleasure. It's joy. It it thrills God to give you the kingdom. We're talking about the kingdom of God. Why would we settle for a piddly pile of stuff when God wants to give us the kingdom? Why would we settle for a, a, a few pieces of gold when he's got a storehouse? But see, it's not for us. It's for him. So you see the difference? In the words of John Piper. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Don't be the one who die. Who, who's on the edge of his deathbed. And says I sure wish I had more meaning in life. Will you close your eyes and bow your head. Nobody move. Nobody get up and leave. Unless you're a musician. I want to invite you Today. To consider two things. Number one. If you're here today. And you've never trusted Jesus Christ. As your Lord and your Savior. I want to invite you to do that. The Bible says. It's by grace. That we're saved through faith. Not of works. You cannot earn God's favor. The Bible says. That our sin condemns us. And we are separated from God. Because of it. If you're here today. And you need to trust Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to do that now. Second. If the kingdom is not on the forefront of your mind, I want to invite you to ask God to put it there, to figure out how you can use all that he's given you and all that he's done in you for kingdom purposes. I know that for some of you don't understand what that means, but you don't have to. You just got to have a willing heart, and I promise God will make it clear. Find the joy in life and the satisfaction that only can come through the kingdom. In a moment, we're going to stand. And again, I know some of you all have bladders that you have to go take care of. But but everybody else, if you will, just just take a moment and respond to God. What is he telling you? What is he telling you? Let's stand. Let's sing.